Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, so we have steam beer in here right now. Um, fermenter two and three are full of steam beer. We're gonna drop this tomorrow. So these are scaled to the brew house. So about one brew in the brew house will fill one of these. I should describe to our listeners, basically we're looking at two above ground pools that are full of beer. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever- awesome. Not that we know of. <laughs> Nobody's pulled a hearse castle and just jumped in the pool, the tour ends here? No. Uh, I don't think so, although we always joke about when the tour goes by, if, you throw, if you're in here, throw a towel over your shoulder and walk out of the room and see what they say. <laughs> that was Dane Volick, brewmaster for Anchor Brewing, just recorded six months ago. And then the news broke this week that the 127-year-old brewery is closing down. Not going to lie, Heather, even for a San Francisco optimist, this one hurts. It does really hurt. It was funny because I um, just got back from three weeks in England and France and had an awesome summer vacation and um, keep waking up too early because I'm still jet-lagged. And on uh, Wednesday morning, I was scrolling through work email and saw a press release um, that Anchor Steam Brewing was closing. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to tell Peter. <laughs> and then, of course, you already had a story all about it and its history. Um, the Chronicle is always was on top of its game. But it's very, very sad news. Yeah, it's super sad news. Um, I've had a hard time processing it. I wrote a couple columns about it, and I was still like kind of processing as I was writing. Um, we're going to talk about Anchor, but I'm sorry. I have to take a tangent. You flew home looking out your window. Did you have the window seat? I did. And what landmarks did you see? Because this is a total SF topic. <laughs> yes, uh, flew home. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I'm still so jet lagged. But whatever day that was, I was on the left side of the airplane in the window seat, um, which meant I had to really not go to the bathroom very often so as not to disturb <laughs> my seatmates. Instead, I was looking out the window, flew in, and saw Golden Gate Bridge just barely peeking through the fog, Sutro Tower barely peeking through the fog. Of course, the east side of the city was in bright sunshine. I could see Salesforce Tower, Transamerica Pyramid, the Bay Bridge, clear as day. And I thought, I'm home. Did you think Peter would want me to check for the Pacifica Taco Bell? <laughs> what, was it there? I couldn't see it from my vantage point, but I'm confident it is still there. Okay. Well, fun detour. Um, <laughs> this episode's going to have an extra long intro in case people haven't figured that out already. <laughs> um, almost an episode in itself. We're going to talk a little bit about Anchor and, and what's going on in San Francisco. And then we're going to play our interview with Dane Volek in full. It really gets into the history of Anchor and shows an operation that frankly was still on top of its game. Um, for now, what's your strongest Anchor memory? And I won't be surprised if we have the same one. Well, of course, our tour is one of my strongest memories. But I would have to say um, my strongest memory was a time I didn't get to drink any Anchor Steam because we did our 
infamous, notorious Total Muni Day back in the spring of 2018, which seems like, what, like 35 years ago now? Yes. A little bit has happened since then, you know, just some minor news events. But um, we rode every single Muni line, cable car, streetcar, uh, in one day, ended at the giant stadium as they were singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, race to the suite that was reserved for us where our family and friends and some coworkers were waiting. We were so eager for an Anchor Steam beer, and our family and friends and coworkers had already drank all of them, and we were stuck with Coors Light. Who the hell does that? I know. I think they thought we weren't going to show up. <laughs> so they're just like, oh, we'll just leave them Coors Light. They're not going to show up anyway. There were subscribers there, too, so I think the subscribers might have been drinking it. But I think our friends and relatives might have drank all the Anchor. In my memory... And this part may not be factual. In my memory, during all of the riding of buses, we were talking about how great an Anchor Steam beer was going <laughs> to take. It was basically like it was Total Muni 2018 and also an ad for Anchor Steam. And then factual, we showed up at the 7th inning stretch. Beer sales were done. Yeah. That was our only opportunity. Yeah, we could only get Coors Light. I'm still mad about it. Yeah. And since then, I got to say, I mean, I always drank the beer and I associated it with Giants games. Since then, I always drink Anchor Steam there, ever since I was denied my Anchor Steam <laughs> by um, our friends and family. But uh, yes, that is my big memory too. We've lost a lot of things. Have you thought about why this one hurts so much? Yeah, I was thinking about that when I read the news that most of what we've heard about in recent weeks have been chain stores like Nordstrom, Old Navy, Nordstrom Rack, um, Banana Republic, you know, stuff like that. And it's more about like, oh, well, what's going to fill that space that leaves a giant gap in mid-market? But I don't actually care if Banana Republic is there or not. But this one is so special to San Francisco. It's so unique, one of a kind, you know, born and bred here. And it's so associated with the city. Those tours of the brewery um, were always so much fun. And, you know, we got to meet Dane and have a great time that day six months ago or so. And the fact that this born and bred San Francisco treasure is gone really hit home. I think about like the Westfield Mall. I mean, I feel bad for the people who have businesses there and have jobs there, but I don't feel any, you know, mortal terror or, or loss of hope because we're losing a mall on Market Street. Market Street has reinvented itself half a dozen times. Anchor's a little tougher for me because I don't know right now if it was necessary. I think we're going to need a full autopsy. Uh, Sapporo spokesman Sam Singer is saying that the brewery was losing money when Sapporo took over it in 2017. But this feels to me a little bit like a KFOG situation when someone outside of San Francisco tried to change something that was uniquely San Francisco in hopes of bigger profits. I know they were kind of trying to take this beer more national and international. And when it didn't work out, the whole operation was scuttled and left us with nothing. Mm -hmm. um, bottom line, I'll always wonder if the ownership stayed local and if it remained a smaller scale local beer, if we'd be drinking it with our grandchildren. Um, and I think this one hurts more because it's like KFOG and the old Fox Theater and what I fear could happen to the Castro Theater. I'm just not sure it's necessary. I, I think maybe this wonderful thing that's been around for so long could have survived. I don't know, but that's what's going on in my head and making it a little harder. Yeah, I agree. It just seems like Sapporo made a big splash when they bought it and then changed the 
the branding and then just kind of threw up their hands. I feel like it could have survived too. Yeah. Well, speaking of places that we love closing, let's make things a little more depressing in this <laughs> intro. <laughs> Nothing but depression here on Total Essence. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're eating lunch yesterday at La Cocina, and like so many lunches with Heather Knight, we're like <laughs> halfway through, and then Heather finds a breaking news story. La Cocina's closing too. You you broke the news, and, and uh, you're even closer to the place than I am. That one hurts too. Yeah, we were sitting there yesterday having um, delicious Algerian food, and uh, my friend Emily Murphy, a law professor at Hastings, was there getting lunch and came by to say hi and said, I just heard that this place is closing, and I immediately went into <laughs> colonist mode. I didn't even have a reporter's notebook with me. I was unprepared and went up to the woman running the food stall, and she had to give me a wrapper to take <laughs> notes on. But luckily, you saved me with an emergency notebook. I, I like that our dynamic is such that we just like kind of, you know, in a lot of cases, we finish each other's sentences. We write outlines sometimes for the podcast. And you're able to write in my voice and vice versa. So I thought it was good that I sensed you needed <laughs> something to write on and just like walked over and slipped it over. That um, was great. Yeah. Well, good story and a sad story too. Um, I just, you know, love that place and I was rooting for it. And when I talked to people about the Tenderloin and the good things that are happening there historically and in the president, I always mention La Cocina. So I, I hope something else good can happen there and all the great people that are making wonderful food, you know, find another avenue. Yeah, so that one is a, a tale of multiple hardships happening all at the same time. Um, it's, uh, for those who don't know, it opened in 2021 um, and is a food marketplace at Golden Gate and Hyde, a longtime tricky corner that's, you know, often... Um, the site of many open-air drug markets and people using drugs and trash, and uh, they were a big hope to clear up the area and provide great job opportunities and a great place to hang out in the neighborhood, which they did, but they just have been losing money hand yeah. over. You, you can't have this. dinner there. No. That's the big thing. W when night falls, nobody comes, and yeah. so their lunch crowd is okay, but nobody was coming for dinner, and it just didn't pencil out. So as of September 1st, the food stalls will be closing um, also, with remote work still going strong in this city, the, the lunch crowd itself isn't as much yeah. as they needed either. So, Well, you can still go. Please go and support um, these wonderful businesses and make those connections. And hopefully a lot of those um, wonderful people will land somewhere else. I don't know how I'm going to turn this around into something positive, but I'm going to try. <laughs> um, I found out about Anchor the night before the story broke because I had a little bit of time to write my column. So I immediately did the Martha Stewart. And you didn't even tell me. That was some good secret I, keeping. I didn't tell you, but I did the Martha Stewart insider trading thing and um, ran to the grocery store and got three cases of Anchor. So I'll give you some of that. <laughs> um, I got enough to share. I mourned. I had a hard day. But I also thought, like, there's a point where I switch and say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Um, you know, wh what's the next step? And I think all we can do is just triple down on the places that are still around and try to avoid the next anchor. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that someone will see all of our stories and value anchor and buy it and we'll get it again. There's been a history, as we'll hear from Dane, we talked to him about it. Anchor has been resurrected and it's been called dead before. So I'm hoping it comes back. 
But I'm also thinking like right now, what can we do? And and I'm thinking, what are some small businesses that I can help right now? I mean, mm-hmm. my way of healing is going to be I'm going to I'm going to come into San Francisco over the weekend and support some things. So I have a list of five. Okay. Um, I did not warn you about this, but I'm just going to name a few places that I want to visit in the next month. Mm-hmm. Four Star Theater. Mm-hmm. I went back for Breaking Away um, with Kelly. I rode my bike to Breaking Away. I had a fabulous time. That theater is just hitting on all cylinders. You wrote a column, really helped save it. And I went there Thursday at 5 o'clock. It was more than half full with a bunch of people loving this movie. I'm going to get back there. Haven't been to comics experience in a while. This just legendary comic store on Divisadero. Brian Hibbs runs it. OG SF guy does these book clubs for kids. I've got to go there and buy some stuff. Mm-hmm. SF City FC has a mm-hmm. game this Saturday versus the Glens. They're hated rivals at oh. 6 p.m. at Kizar Stadium. I'm going to be there for that this weekend. Um, Oasis. I go to Golden Girls Live with you every year, but like that's kind of the remedial introductory drag. I'm ready to go to Oasis, bring my wife Kelly, and get a suggestion for like what's my next step in drag watching. Okay. Yeah. I can help you with that. And then Musée Mécanique. Um, I went there during my vacation, um, but just heading into that tourist area and visiting all the wonderful places, the Buena Vista cafes, the subpars. There's a lot of local businesses there. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm going to channel this anchor energy is. I'm going to go just have a lot of fun and try and support some places that are still around and hope they don't meet that fate. Where are you going? You did not warn me about this, um, but I definitely got to support the local bookstores. Of course, everyone knows my favorite is Green Apple. Also love Bird and Beckett in Glen Park. Um, Books on the Park, Green Apple's offshoot um, in the Inner Sunset's awesome. And the Inner Sunset is a great small business area. Um, there's a lot to eat there and um, and shops. I like ambiance, the women's boutique. I go there often. My other favorite is Siren um, for clothes in West Portal. Check that out. I'm pretty sure it's West Portal, <laughs> Heather. Oh, my God. You've never pronounced that neighborhood correctly. Yeah, that was a Total Muni 2018 callback. (laughs) Uh, West Portal. (laughs) Sounds more elegant. I'm sorry. Go on. Oasis is a great call. Um, Baloney, our friend Rory Davis's all-male review, has shows coming up there very soon. So um, check that out. That's a lot, though. I'm just warning people. It's very not safe for work. I don't think Baloney's a good (laughs) second (laughs) You need something between Golden Girls and Baloney. Yeah. So we'll figure that out for you. Okay, we'll figure that out. Um, If you want more wholesome uh, Rory Davis uh, small business type support, check out Roryography in Dolores Park, the very fun dance class, Mondays and Fridays. How about let's throw in a classic? Ride a cable car to Top of the Mark and get a martini. I am dying to go back there. Um, Those are all great choices. I think everyone who's listening to this, like if you're sad about something that's gone, almost like appoint yourself the publicist for two or three businesses that you love and use whatever you have, your social media, you know, emails, whatever you have, just champion those places. And we're just going to have to kind of do it on a grassroots level Mm -hmm. because it seems like the odds are stacked against places like Anchor, but our support can overcome that. Well said. Oh, and how about Beeps Burgers? 
Beeps Burgers. Everybody should go get a burger at Beeps Burgers. We just described an incredible day in San Francisco. Incredible, like, three days in San Francisco. Uh, any final anchor thoughts? And, again, I'm hoping it comes back in some form, but uh, any final anchor thoughts from you? Yeah, I'm mad you didn't tell me that you knew, and you owe me a beer, an anchor beer. Okay, you can have at least three of my 36 <laughs> anchor beers. Um, excellent. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to miss it the most at Giants games. I, I remember one time when I already had had a couple drinks waiting for you, and then I bought two of them. Didn't tell you this. I was sipping them because I both of them. I sipped your beer because I didn't want a single drop to spill. And then I remember being in the bleachers and holding it up toward the sun. It was a sunny day at Oracle Park and just seeing that orange-brown liquid in there, and it was magical. Aww. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, pouring one out for the staff of Anchor Brewing, everyone who made that great beer that we enjoyed. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, Dane Volek. Uh, thank you for the great tour that we just got. Uh, the one question I didn't ask on the tour is, how'd you get started here? Oh, man, that's a, that's a, quite an interesting story, but to keep it brief, uh, I was going to SF State, uh, and I was getting to that stage where I was running out of money and looking at the realities as they were, and I uh, wanted to kind of deny that as much as possible, but then I happened to see a posting outside of one of my classes for a job I'm working on the racking line at Anchor Brewing Company. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. Pay seemed really good. Seemed like a workout. Hours were flexible. So I uh, pulled the number off, made the call, and not too long after that, two two interviews in and meeting Fritz Maytag for the first time. And the next thing I know, I was washing kegs at 6 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember your first day of work? I do. I actually do remember my first day of work pretty vividly. Uh, I mean, I'm a hardworking guy that loves to loves to use my hands, um, but it was it was definitely more than I'd done in quite some time um, with with that specific asset. So, how, how popular were you still in college, but working at a brewery? <laughs> It worked out all right. Uh, I was actually not 21 when I started, oh. so there was a little so bit sure of a gap there. I'm sure you didn't drink there. any beer at all. I had no beer whatsoever. <laughs> I was definitely not home brewing and not interested in learning more about brewing. <laughs> well, we just got a great tour, and we learned um, some breaking news about a Mexican lager with lime that's coming out soon called, tell us the name again? San Pancho. Yeah, it was very good. But you're really known for steam beer, and can you define what steam beer is? So steam beer is a, a, it's an artifact of a lot of technology and innovation that was occurring during the times of the gold rush. So you had, you know, predominantly lager-centric, a lot of times German brewers that were coming out to the West Coast seeking their fortune, whether gold or otherwise, uh, and, and they wanted to produce beer but they lacked a lot of what we take advantage of today, and they lacked a lot of the sort of bare necessities of keeping beer cold. We didn't really have caves in this area. We didn't really have cheap, ready sources of ice. We didn't have electricity, but they're using lager yeast. Um, so really it was a, a beer that was born of innovation, 
born of how do I take what I know and what do I know how to do and create a product that's still approachable, delicious, and craveable. Um, so Steam's a very special beer, uh, very highly unusual. Of course, we're the last ones making a, quote, steam beer today, although California Common is the common term, shall we say, for other, other beers made in this style. But it utilizes, long story short, a lager strain of yeast, but more at ale temperatures, ale conditions. Uh, and San Francisco was really a, a really warm place that allowed this process to occur and allowed a lot of these innovations to take place. And, you know, we are the last ones around, but there's, there was a lot of it going on at that time. Mm-hmm. And is San Francisco's climate still important to the brewery method today? Well, it's not so important to the brewing method other than that it is still consistent, yeah. um, which was a very nice piece of, of data to work with for those brewers at that time. Uh, you know, just having that that stasis in the climate does still allow for some, you know, stability of an expectation of electrical demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is a little bit of that still playing with it. But the beer itself has evolved somewhat from that time. A little bit more control, as you can probably imagine, a little bit more science is being applied. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to, as we always do, stick to the traditions of our heritage and really, really just improve upon what it is that makes the beers that we make special. And do things like fog and hetch hetchy water influence the taste? Oh, the water does, I have to imagine, for yeah. sure. That's one of those things that people always ask, especially the more the more attuned brewers when they come in. There's, that's always one of their questions. What do you do with the water? Like, What's your water treatment profile? And we're like, eh, we add a little gypsum in the mash tun, and that's about it. You know, We just roll with what we have, which is incredible yeah. and, and very delicious. So that's a huge part of it, of course water being the largest ingredient in beer so very important well this brewing company has been produced for 120 years plus there have been a lot of highs and lows how much do you pay attention to the history how much have you absorbed in your 15 years here not enough yet but i'm working on it every day uh, i mean that, that the history is i started as a, as a craft brewer as a home brewer um, and I was always very fascinated by that angle of things. I thought the history was really interesting and something that always appealed to me as well. But over my my many years at Anchor here, it's always been a little bit more focused on process. And now as I've kind of learned different parts of that process, I find myself turning back to this family that I've grown up with, this cohort of people that I work with, it always kind of brings me, ends up bringing me back to that history and, and what it means to be around for 126 years and, and hoping to be around for another 126. Mm-hmm. So that the history is definitely something that a lot of people are very attracted by, and I just find myself getting more and more attracted by that over time. Well, I, I've been digging around in the Chronicle Archive um, looking for Anchor Brewing facts, and, and a lot of things jumped out at me. 27 steam beers were in the city in the 1800s at one point. Uh, Anchor's the only one that survived prohibition. I actually found the incorporation of Anchor from 1905 in the Chronicle. It's um, the Anchor Brewing Company has been incorporated by Otto Schinkel Jr., Albert Graft, Ernst F. Baruth, and Otto Schinkel Sr. with a capital stock of 37,500, which won't get you a lot in San Francisco today, but back then they got a brewery. 
Um, a lot of ups and downs. I read through the archive, and at one point, I mean, we have a 1965 story headlined, It Looks Bad for Steam Beer, and a profile of one man. He, he had one employee at one point, but I think he had to fire him by the end. There was one person putting out Anchor Beer, which was being distributed basically to, to beer halls around here. I found Chronicle ads where it would be like, Double Play Bar has Anchor Steam this week. It was not a beer that was going all over the nation, international. But then Fritz, Fritz Maytag, who you mentioned, shows up in 1965. He's a Stanford student, drops $15,000 as a hobby. He doesn't even think, like, this is going to become a big thing. And then it becomes a big thing. You've met Fritz Maytag. I was shocked. He's actually still alive. Yeah, he's, uh, he's 85. He turned 85, I think, about two months ago. What what's his influence on this place and and you know Maytag he's actually part of the Maytag um, the you know I guess washing machine chain so he had some business sense. What does he mean to this place? Do you still feel his soul here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he uh, he passed down everything that he knew person to person. I mean, it really is a family around here. Uh, not something that you pick up right away when you first start working, but you you do notice oh, this person's saying hi to me every morning. They know my name. Like, oh, if I go over to Public Taps now and have a beer after work, there's a little enclave of anchor workers right there. It's like you get drawn into it before too long. And I think Fritz, he obviously had a huge impact on the industry, obviously a huge impact on us um, at Anchor. But definitely more than anything else, really just kind of solidified this familial feel and this feeling that you're you're safe and at home when you're here. Your ideas are worthwhile. And we all just kind of bounce everything off of each other and we end up learning exactly how to make this beer slightly better, how to how to do this procedure a little bit better. And I think that that sort of governing drive is still very much alive and well here and that's something that i personally and i many of my coworkers take seriously of shepherding that into the future that's really what our job is mm-hmm. and there have been two stories in the last six years that made big headlines one was the sale of anchor to sapporo and also the label change from the inside how has anchor changed in recent years Oh, I think it's gotten better and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Sapporo news is really big, of course, um, but Sapporo is the oldest brewery in Japan, the oldest beer label in Japan. Very dedicated to the craft. They do everything from raise hops um, to own hotels and things like that as well. But um, they're they're very detail focused and very keen on fostering the innovation that we have and supplying whatever it is that we need to keep that going. So like the laboratory, for instance, has had a ton of investment. It's been really awesome seeing what we've done there and and the capabilities, the increase in the capabilities that we have today versus pre-Sapporo. And just a network of people to communicate with. Uh, You know, we're we're an odd brewery in a lot of different ways, but having that sort of right there and ready assets to tap into and knowledge base to learn from has been really incredible. I mean, it's just been an up and down investment through mm-hmm. and through. So we're, we're very happy to be partners with Sapporo. Under Sapporo's ownership, is Anchor made in more places now or still just uh, here? No, it's still just here <laughs> on the hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, of course, just before the Sapporo purchase in 2017, we opened Public Taps, which is directly across Mariposa Street here. Mm-hmm. 
and that's our our pilot brewery um which is very cool as well i hope to bring you guys over there in a we few minutes a but <laughs> <laughs> yeah the sequel um but other than that no it's it's san francisco made all the way since the beginning cool. um, so nothing's changed there uh, I, I was one of the people who who panicked during the label change uh i ran out and bought three 12 packs of the old kind of anchor steam we're worried that it might change yeah i wrote a column it was very polarizing i heard from people who agreed with me i heard from people who told me to get over it including some people from anchor <laughs> they were very nice they were very nice uh, what did you think of the label change did that did that was there a seismic impact here or were you guys just like did you roll with it I think there was less of an impact here. Uh, I think we all knew that there was going to be a pretty significant impact. I think we'll all treasure those old labels without a doubt. Uh, But I really like the concept of pushing us into this next 126 years. Uh, I mean, the craft brewing industry has become a lot more challenging in the last number of years. Uh, And I think what we really wanted to accomplish was a couple of quick goals. We wanted to have our beer really stand out on the shelf and we wanted people to know that we make something other than steam beer Um, so we we really actually took a lot of old kind of archival data and we we put together this new packaging using a lot of of things out of the archive so it's kind of an amalgamation of of different labels from the past signage from the past Uh, we wanted to stay true to that that original long-standing brewery but we also just wanted to make it incredibly clear to people like we're here we make a bunch of different beers. You should probably try them all. <laughs> and here they are. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, this seems like a dream job, but as we're getting the tour that you gave us, I mean, it, it could have been in places like the, you know, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory <laughs> describing fusion. I mean, there's a lot going on in here. For people who don't know who don't work here, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the maybe unexpected pleasures? Uh, well, those, those are a little bit tied together, I would say. I mean, the, the challenges for me are we make a handmade product from raw ingredients, from a logistics chain in a somewhat uncontrollable manner with very little absolutely top of the end brewing technology i mean we're really we're just ladies and gentlemen here making a product from a a natural raw ingredient Um, so that both the joys and the pains a lot of times come from first thing i do is i walk in the morning kind of see how everything's looking i mean it's really an appetite for the eyes for the nose for the palate all day long you're using all these senses and the longer you stick around the less you really realize that you're doing it but as you saw with these open fermenting vessels, you know, you walk by the room, you know right away by looking at it, is it doing okay? Is it where I expect it to be? And then I kind of pass into the lab, I'll look at the documents. You know, we actually, I meant to show you that too, and I, I left that out, but it's, all of our brew sheets are, are still pencil on paper. Uh, they sit on the brew house desk while the wort's being produced they're passed over to the lab once the word is in the fermenter and they're in fermentation. We have one row in there that's actively fermenting beers. We have one row that's like partial tanks that aren't actively fermenting. They're in the cellar now, but there's gonna be more added. And then we go down to the cellar and we have the last stock of all of our paperwork down there, which is everything in the cellar. Um, so the, 
the trials and tribulations of the average day are just looking at all this handmade work from grain to glass and where does everything stand and is everything okay and to some degree you are a firefighter every day there's going to be one little thing or two little things that um, might not be going exactly to plan and it it, it provides challenges because it's not an automated brew house uh, mistakes get made you know people aren't perfect and neither are raw ingredients if they show up or you know they're more beat up than you wanted them to be when they show up it's all sort of a massaging process but that's really what we're all here to do is is end up from point a to point b in your glass so so how much experimentation still happens though i mean you have your core beers but you're coming out with new ones and it sounds like at public tap there's even more of that going on uh it's happening every week in one way or another uh, i mean commercially we have christmas sale every year so that's a huge thing we get to look forward to every year that's going to be a different brew different ingredients different process probably so we have that every year in the bag and then the last number of years yeah we've brought up a few beers from public taps scaled them up put them into the marketplace see how they do it's very exciting. It's definitely a part of what keeps a lot of us around here engaged and, and happy. Um, but yeah, Public Taps is a whole other story. That's a new brew every week, pretty much. That's about the flow of it. So there's a lot of experimentation going on there, um, far more than we could really capture for any actual use commercially. You know, it's maybe one out of one out of the four brews in the month we're doing something explicitly for some commercial application. The other three brews, we're doing something to learn something or we're doing something to please a consumer that we know wants something very specific or we went to a restaurant last night and we tried some new dish and how could we make a beer that resembles that dish or goes with that dish? Uh, I mean, that's the joy of a seven-barrel system as it's it's pretty easy to make a, a batch of beer and pretty easy to sell it when you have people that love coming and tasting. <laughs> Is there a lot of failure on the way there? I mean... Do you taste a lot of bad beer before you get that one that you really love at Public Tap? Uh, I'm I'm probably the harshest judge of anybody on some <laughs> of those, so it's not I'm not always exactly pleased the way that I thought I was going to be pleased. There's always a little bit of shock. I wouldn't say I'm disappointed often. Uh, that's maybe a little strong, but there's there's some beers that are clear winners and <laughs> some beers that are more than drinkable <laughs> well we associate anchor so strongly with the giants are you a giants fan i am a giants fan i'm not a huge baseball guy yeah. um, but i always enjoy going to the games and uh, of course drinking our beers there i'm looking forward to san poncho there in the future <laughs> with the nachos. that's gonna be a great oh, killer uh, combination with uh, the cha-cha bowl yeah oh. that'll be good I'm going for that. I'm not going for the Giants this year. <laughs> You're they, going. They the built a bad team, <laughs> but if they've got a good beer selection, I'm still going to get to the ballpark. Why does beer always taste better at a Giants game? Uh, I mean, that's part of the it's part of the romance of enjoying something you enjoy where you enjoy it. It's a combination. It's some kind of mathematical, you know, exponential. We can't really quite explain it other than to taste it and experience it. <laughs> Well, you survived our serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? To get a burrito? Uh, Castaito, probably. Uh, what's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? I've been wanting to watch the vampire one again, Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yeah. oh. Uh, I always have that scene 
going across the Golden Gate Bridge and just like the hair flicking in the wind. There's <laughs> always something about that scene. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I've been thinking about it recently, so we'll go with that. Okay. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? I'm going to have to say one of the many rum bars that we have. We'll mm. go Smuggler's Cove. Okay. Uh, the Rum Barrel is a great drink. Yeah. Well, this region is very associated with wine. Would you consider San Francisco a good beer city? Yeah, I think it's a good beer city. If we expand that to just the Bay Area in general, we're absolutely hitting it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's great breweries in, in the city, really good work that's being done. I'm sure there will be more in the future. And besides Anchor, obviously, what's your favorite local beer? Uh, I'll go East Bay again. Uh, I like a lot of what's going on in the East Bay. There's uh-huh. Original Pattern, Ghost Town. I mean, there's just uh-huh. so many good breweries in this area. Um, but the East Bay's really stood out in the last year. They had an incredible showing at Great American Beer Festival this year. People are definitely taking notice. Yeah. How much beer do you drink in an average work week? Um, just enough. <laughs> <laughs> and last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, time to relax with the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Always try to just, you know, multitask at the end of the day. I go to public taps. Mm-hmm. I taste a pour of something that uh, I haven't tasted in a while, and I enjoy it with the people that I work with, and I try to do that every day. We've got 24 taps over there now, so it it takes an effort to get through them all and, and do your checks and, yeah. and measures. So that's an important part of my day every day. I would also say the beginning of the day. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the first three hours, I always find I do probably 80% of the work in the Me first too. three hours. Yes. And then we go on beer tours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank-, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And I'm, I'm actually, I want to formally apologize for crapping on your new label because the beer tastes exactly the same. And after this tour, it's clear to me that it's being made in San Francisco and it's no less of a San Francisco product. So thank you for letting me in your brewery after I crapped <laughs> on your new label, and my apologies. Well, it wasn't easy for any of us, I'll tell you that. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll see what the future holds, but we know it's going to be bright for us. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a Digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod.